Hello, everyone. I'm Esther Pansla, Head of Partnerships, Policy, and Communications at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Welcome to Season 2 of Capital Musings, UNCDF's podcast, where we are focusing on fresh ideas and new innovations that serve our mandate to make finance work for the poor in the world's least developed countries. You can find our Capital Musings podcast on Apple, Spotify, or our website, www.uncdf.org. Today, we're very excited to be speaking with Malin Melmström, Professor of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Luleå University of Technology in Sweden. Her work has shed light on the impact of gender in investment decisions. Malin, it's a great pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. It's really my pleasure, Esther. So thank you. Please tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? What did you study? And what led you to become a professor? I grew up in the north of Sweden, quite close to the Arctic Circle in a small city named Piteå. And I always had a strong sense of justice. I grew up in the 70s with a supportive family saying that I could do anything, uh, just as well as my brother could. And as long as I just put all my efforts into my pursuit, I would be just as well off. And this came from a really good place with all the best intentions, but this worldview also misled me to think that was equality in our society. So it was all down to me to succeed. So I learned that from a career-wise point of view, gender was not really an issue. It was first later when I had my PhD in business administration and was studying financiers and how they make assessments and take decisions that I came into the area of gender bias. So I never had a preset agenda or intentions to study gender bias, but was analyzing the assessment data covering hundreds of assessments. Then I realized that was something wrong with the overall picture. And when I looked more closely into the gender structures in the data, the results really hit me. And this was really an eye-opener to me, how differently women's entrepreneurial potential was assessed compared to men's entrepreneurial potential. Secondly, you asked me why I became a professor and how I came to choose that path. And it was actually during the time when I was writing my master thesis for a degree in business administration that was when I really found my passion and curiosity for research. And I was lucky to be offered an opportunity to pursue a PhD in entrepreneurship and innovation straight after my degree. So I got the chance and I jumped on it straight away. And it was everything else than a straightforward journey for me. I certainly questioned my choice of path at times. But I always came back to that I was not finished doing research. And I think that my sense of justice was really strong in this pursuit, especially when I came across these gendered structures in my research. So my curiosity and passion uh, still motivates me. And uh, I still find that there are more things that I want to explore. So at this point, I can't really imagine doing anything else. It's a... Um, love relationship with my job <laughs> and it's uh, it's really rewarding and as well as has its challenges and struggles of course but i really like my job so this is a really fascinating area the intersection of entrepreneurship investment decisions and gender is this quite a new area or are there other professors and researchers studying these same issues 
Thank you. But yes, this is quite a new area of research when we look into gender bias in access to finance. Most research previously done has focused on showing evidence of patterns in gender biased access to fundings. And the early research began in the mid 80s, but it was not until the end of the 90s the research really took off. And that research was led by the Diana Group. And their work was really a starting point for this line of research. And more recently, research has made attempt to show the origin of gender bias in access to finance. And among these studies, I would really like to highlight the work of Dana Kense and her college, published in Academy of Management Journal in 2018. They made an excellent contribution. And this was published at the same time as our gender rhetoric study was published. So it was actually a really good timing, even though we didn't know of each other's work at this point. But they analyzed the conversations going on between the entrepreneurs and the venture capitalists and could show gender bias in how questions are asked by the venture capitalists to women and men entrepreneurs. I'm not aware of the Diana Group. Could you please tell us a bit more about them? The Diana Group is a group of female professors in in the US. They came from Harvard University, from Babson College, that has been doing research in the entrepreneurship field, but started to doing a focused studies on entrepreneurship and access to finance, and especially uh, in access to venture capital financing, because the prior studies has been done on on the smaller capital, like bank loans and microfinancing. But they realized that we need to take this further to look at the big capital and where does it go and why is it so biased in its distribution. So this was a really important contribution to the field to make the path for other studies to follow. Fantastic. Thank you for telling us about that. I'll definitely look them up. So one of the studies that followed, or that you were doing at the same time as this research, was on gendered language used by investment decision makers when assessing female versus male founders. Please tell us more about that. Yes, this was a study that went on for a couple of years, and we started off with doing interviews with venture capitalists about the female and male entrepreneur who had presented their investment proposals to them. And... When we did these interviews, we could identify four stereotypical gender notions about risk, growth, resources and performance that these venture capitalists shared about how they thought about women and men. So in the eyes of the venture capitalists, women are viewed as cautious and risk averse, whereas men are ambitious and risk taking. The second notion is that women are reluctant to grow their businesses, whereas men are willing to do. And the third is that women do not have resources to engage in high growth, whereas men do. And the fourth is that women's ventures underperform, whereas men's ventures perform well. So this made us raise the question, are these stereotypical notions of risk, growth, resources and performance, where do they come from? So to try to answer this, we analyzed the investment proposals to see if women and men present their proposals differently. 
what they express in their proposal. And we used a validated dictionary of entrepreneurial terms covering areas of innovation, risk, proactivity, autonomy and competitive aggressiveness, which are viewed as important entrepreneurial attributes to succeed. It's called entrepreneurial orientation in the literature. And we found no statistical difference between how women and men expressed their investment proposal. So the notions didn't come from the investment proposals, we realized. And this led us to search for an answer on the venture capitalist side instead. So we went behind the scenes and sat quietly in the closed rooms where the venture capitalists make assessments and take decisions of whom to finance. And we recorded all that was said during a two years period when they discussed over 200 investment proposals from women and men. And we found that the venture capitalists used a gendered language in their assessment that portrayed the real entrepreneur as a man, not a woman. I will give you some examples to how we came to this conclusion. First of all, we found that more positive attributes were used to describe men compared to women. Men were described with 71% positive attributes and 29% negative attributes while the opposite was evident among women. Only 25% were positive attributes, while the majority, 75%, were negative attributes, which showed an overall bias in how women and men were framed in the assessments. Further, the same attributes was used with different meaning. Young men were described as young and promising, while young women were described as young and inexperienced or lacked knowledge of the market. And the term cautious is also another example. It was positive for men to be cautious because that meant they were sensible, but it was negative for women because they were viewed as they didn't dare. And also they, they also assessed differently when they looked upon attributes attached to female and male entrepreneurs. A, a woman driving an expensive car was considered to be um, high maintenance and uh, an expensive behavior, while a man driving an expensive car was viewed as a successful man who made his, he was a self-made man who could drive such a car. So we also found that the venture capitalist described women and men differently. Men were provided an identity as an entrepreneur, a business owner or an inventor, while women were referred to as merely her, which gave men more legitimacy in their professional roles, but not the women. And men were also described with more superlatives than women. So, for instance, like very competent, extremely talented or really brilliant, which also underscores men's abilities in contrast to women. And men were described with more active forms such as does and can, while women were described in more passive form like is and has, which positioned men as doers. And men were described with more attributes related to innovation and development, and it's central to entrepreneurship. And overall, the gendered language that structures that portray women and men differently underscore the four gender stereotypical notions of risk, growth, resources and performance the venture capitalists believed in. So once we knew this, we wanted to see if there was any substance to these gender stereotypical notions of women and men's venturing. 
And to test this, we collected accounting data for the exact same businesses that the venture capitalists talked about to explore how the ventures performed at the point of presenting their investment proposals to the venture capitalists. So we used over 20 different key performance indicators that mirrors the essence of these four gender stereotypical notions of risk, growth, resources and performance in different ways. And we found no statistical support for any of these notions. So this means that women and men did not differ in the ways of taking risks in their ventures, the ways of growing their businesses, the resources they used or the financial performance they reached in their venturing. So we found no support for these gender stereotypical notions in the accounting data. However, our results show the effect of the gender stereotypical notions in that women's investment proposals were dismissed to a significantly greater extent compared to men's proposals. And we could also conclude that women were approved much less capital than the male entrepreneurs were in, in the average application approved. It's hard to know what to say to this, Malin. I've heard this research more than once, your wonderful presentation about this research, and it always makes me feel like I'm getting punched in the stomach. That in 2021 in Sweden, which is a global champion for gender equality, you are essentially mapping the outlines of the structural bias that exists that prevent women from essentially having a fair chance with men when they're presenting their proposals, which you have demonstrated with your research have the exact same substance and the exact same performance. So it's both utterly maddening and very galvanizing, but at least we can now see the problem. And you have demonstrated with your research the falseness of those fund managers who say, we just choose the best idea because you have mapped out these structural biases that exist and the structural way of looking at the world that by definition disadvantages women. So at least we now know, or now we can see what the opposition is and how we need to break this down. One thing that we've talked about briefly in the past, is there a way then to take your research and create essentially a gender-blind pitching mechanism or checklist, the way that orchestras used to put musicians behind a screen? And once they did that for auditions, they suddenly hired many more female musicians because amazingly, when you're judging on the quality of the music, females get hired more. Is there some kind of gender-blind screen or checklist that we could potentially consider using with your research that would help asset allocators address some of this structural bias? We tend to spend a lot of time trying to figure out if this is a man or a woman, if we don't know. So I'm not sure if it's that easy, but if we can't make it blind and make it efficient, I think that at least we can use and develop tools to look at, make sure that we look at women and men in an equal way. For instance, uh, how we raise questions, like the study of Dana Kensey and her colleagues and how they show that even though the the content of the questions are gender neutral. It's about market or product or productions or whatever. It's the way we ask the question that makes us biased. So for instance, if you ask an entrepreneur, what is your market share? Or if you ask, what is the market potential? What do you think is the growth potential in the market of this project? So that's two different ways to posts about the same question. The market share points out that there are competition 
surrounding the venturing while putting the focus at the market potential to grow. You're not really putting the spotlight on the competition. It's rather what you can accomplish with your venture. And the way that we ask questions is really important for our own mindset in what we're thinking about potential. So I think that becoming aware of how we ask questions and make sure that we don't steer towards this particular focus when we ask women some things and men other things. I think that could be one way to try to steer around gender. But of course, I think also that another way to do it is to use artificial intelligence and to develop machine learning algorithms to support decision makers and help decision makers to become aware of when they let bias, gender bias influence their perceptions of what potential is. But I, I then also want to warn for the risk that we may also build artificial intelligence that is also based on data that is also biased because it's based on previous decision making. So it's very important when we develop algorithms as decision support that we also make it gender biased proofed. So we don't actually enhance the problem instead of trying to make it go away. Exactly. And I think we've heard in the news recently with Google and other large technology companies, there is a pattern of bias being embedded into technology products in voice recognition, facial recognition, the lack of racial minorities that are used in these tests. And that would make some of this AI less good at recognizing people who are not white and not male. It's a fact also that mostly white men are used in medical clinical trials. So most medicine recommendations and prescriptions are based on a male body and male reaction to certain medicines. So we see that the data represents the population that is hoping to be served by whatever the product is. I think is. that's a great And as question, you say, it must be unbiased and diverse that we lack from the beginning. Valid so Malin, you've done your research in Sweden on Swedish venture capitalists. And Sweden is known, at least in the UN system, as a great champion for gender equality. So how bad is this problem in the rest of the world? Scratch the surface, you can see it. So based on that, I think that we can expect that the problem is greater elsewhere, both in terms of conscious and unconscious gender bias. But for developing policy that target these mechanisms efficiently, I think that we need to know more about how gender bias play out in different contexts. Some aspects may be more or less universal, given the results that we found, but we need to know more about how social norms, cultures and politics in various contexts influence women's entrepreneurship and access to funding to get good insights into the problem of gender bias.
excellent. And we know from our work at the United Nations that in many countries around the world, the idea of a woman pitching an idea for a business is by itself a big stretch, that there would be multiple barriers and obstacles to a woman even thinking that she could do something like that in many countries around the world. Yes. So the there definitely is a huge need for information, is- as you say, data, to build this case for other locations around the world. But one of your studies found that bank digitization hurts female entrepreneurs, which is counterintuitive to the assumption that increasing access to banks would tend to help female business owners. Can you please tell us more? In our study. So our studies show that women entrepreneurs who encounter banks with such digital lending devices are forced to engage in alternative involuntary forms of funding to cope with reduced access to loan or bank financing. And these women device activities that reduce overall capital requirements, improve cash flow and take advantage of personal sources of financing to acquire the essential resources they need that minimizes the amount of outside debt and equity financing needed from banks. But our study also showed that this bias also vanish when entrepreneurs meet with the bankers in the lending process. So we therefore show that gender provides an implicit background identity for bankers when they assess entrepreneurs, but that this identity may change if the banker meets with the entrepreneurs, him or herself. So with limited interactions between banks and entrepreneurs, background knowledge stemming from the stereotypes may frame the banker's perceptions of entrepreneurs, which may be amplified when no actual social interactions occur that could adjust the influence of stereotypes. So I think that there is a bigger challenge than just making the services digital to solve the gender bias problem. That's fantastic. And of course, UNCDF is the big champion of digitization of banking services and payment streams because that has opened access for women as consumers. But as you're pointing out, the question of digitization is not a simple one, and it's not always de facto positive for women, especially female entrepreneurs. So that's something that we will, of course, have to take into our consideration about these issues. So thank you for raising that complexity and pointing to the multiple cases and implications of these technology advances that are happening around the world. So now that you have very convincingly laid out the gender stereotypes and the structural biases that really stand in the way of female entrepreneurs, what can we do on a positive level to combat these gender stereotypes and increase the flow of finance to female entrepreneurs, founders, and business leaders? So I think that for research to show a next step is to also actually show the costs of letting gender bias influence investment decisions to highlight the missed investment opportunities. This is a way to spark an interest at the investor side. But after awareness, I also think that it's really important to have the support of your uh, managerial side of the organization. There has to be a a willingness and a determination to accomplish change. And I think that 
as in all organization, if we do measure what we do, we can actually follow up and that tends to also get done. What is measured, get done. So I think that is really important. And I also think that we can learn a lot from the upcoming financial markets such as crowdfunding and fintech. And most of these solutions also focus investments in women and women entrepreneurs. And like in crowdfunding, women are common as investors and also women entrepreneurs gain more funding in crowdfunding. So these arenas are really interesting to look at, to understand how we can learn from these arenas to more traditional ways or traditional capital market actor. And I think that it's a good idea to try to steer women to use more fintech solutions and to use more crowdfunding as a way to orient themselves around these hurdles that they otherwise can meet when looking for capital in the traditional capital market. And as I said, I also think that we need to make sure that the AI and algorithms that are developing and are upcoming in the financial market are secured for gender bias. And this is not an easy thing to do and it has to be redone over and over again. As long as we develop the algorithms, we have to make sure that we don't introduce gender bias into the algorithms once we update them. I also would like to say that I think that increasing the proportion of women in higher positions in the financial market is, is crucial. And I would like to say that I would go as far as to say that an equal distribution of women in these top positions, like 40 to 60% of the decisions makers should be women, because we see the effects of women in crowdfunding. When they are about this uh, size of the investor's share, they also make a difference. More women get more funding. So I think it's important to learn from these structures in other arenas in the traditional ones. We've also seen research now increasingly showing that diverse management teams and having more women on boards and in leadership positions in corporations leads to better financial performance. So when you talk about the opportunity costs of not funding female entrepreneurs, it's also true of corporations that do not have diverse or gender balanced boards. It appears that they're leaving some financial performance on the table and that investors need to start looking at these issues because they have a material impact on the performance of the company. So Melon, you talked about the way you were raised by your parents to think the world was gender blind, that you could do anything you wanted. Will you raise your own children differently now that your research has shown that this is maybe not the case? ...that they have, but also to make sure that they realize how they are part of society and how we create gender and do gender on a daily basis. And I think that's really important to, to have from a young age to be able to make a difference when you grow up and get your own career.
Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this talk. Thank you. I also have two sons, so I will be coming to you, Malin, for parenting tips on how to incorporate gender into our education of our boys. I think that's a wonderful idea. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to have you. And thanks also to our audience for tuning into UNCDF's podcast, Capital Musings. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our website, www.uncdf.org.